I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Thanks for joining us once again for I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. And today we're going to take a little bit of a turn um, in that we're going to talk about sports and sexual violence and uh, domestic, well not domestic assault, but just assault, sexual assault in the sports world, which is a little bit different, well quite a bit different than the domestic variety, although um, sometimes they carry over. Um, Today we have Krista DeBoer with us, who is a sexual assault assault therapist for DASIS, and also Danny Filipek, and she is a sexual assault advocate also for DASIS. And both of these women have been athletes for most of their lives, um, even at the NCAA level and coaching and all kinds of things. So, um, Krista, we'll start with you, and, and how about if we just, you know, let our listeners know um, how you did participate in the sports world and sure. do. <laughs> sure. Um So I started gymnastics when I was four, and I quit competitive gymnastics when I was 20, and then did a little bit of um, just kind of open gym, which is just coming in and playing around mostly, so Mm -hmm. nothing competitive. Um, Yeah, so that was in college, so I guess most of my life was in the sports world. And Danny? That's awesome. Um, I have been an athlete for, um, I've been a professional athlete for now it's going on six years. Um, I ran as a Division II All-American um, at a Division II program. Um, went on from that, from a professional marathoner, running 241 in the marathon, competed at the Olympic trials. Wow. Um, went on to coach um, NJCAA, NCAA, um, NAIA. Um, have been coaching middle school, high school, college, all throughout with cross country and track. And then now, even though I'm super pregnant as you guys see um i'm still running every day um and i hope to finish my first 100 mile in september um i have represented the united states in the 50 mile distance trail championship where we won a bronze medal so and then um i ran 340 miles across the state for domestic and sexual abuse awareness in may wow and did you say finish 100 miles like all at the same time yeah, I want to in September after baby oh makes its arrival. <laughs> that is, uh, that would be quite an achievement. 100 <laughs> miles, like all at the same time. Well, I've done 348 days. <laughs> I have to days, stop so. when I'm in a car. <laughs> wow. Hey. Oh, we stop. Don't worry. We eat, che- we eat Cheez-Its and beef oh. jerky and chocolate milk the whole way. So. Oh, well, okay. Okay. It's still no. <laughs> but that's fabulous that you are able to do those things. Hey. So, um, And th- those were all of, you know, highlights, obviously, but... Um, you both have had a very long and successful career in the sports world. 
but not everybody gets that chance and many um, athletes not just women but many athletes deal with all kinds of abuse whether it's Mm -hmm. sexual or verbal or physical abuse Mm -hmm. in the sports world and that's kind of what we're going to center on today Um, so I'm not sure which of you wants to start but let's figure out what kinds of of things equate to sexual or domestic or violent abuse in the sports world so Danny what kinds of abuse have you seen kind of in your sport Oh, gosh. I mean, just as what Claudia said, physical, emotional, and sexual and psychological abuse. Um, we see that turning into really unhealthy team cultures, um, which further perpetrates behaviors and um, can really leave detrimental effects on the athletes. Um, and then the program can be affected. Um, what about you? Um, I think very closely it's physical, mental, mm-hmm. sometimes emotional, I would say. Um, I think, unfortunately, right now, gymnastics is known for the Larry Nassar USA uh, mm-hmm. gymnastics scandal, yeah. um, which I think has put a lot of a damper on even the upcoming Olympics. Um, so, and it, and it ranges, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if you notice this in sports, but um, when you have a good coach who knows you and knows how to motivate you mm-hmm. versus other cultures or other I competed in a gym so other gyms um where you could even kind of notice a a very big difference between the culture in my gym which was like a family atmosphere learning life skills um once you're a part of that family you never leave uh coaches are like parents because you just spend so much time with them versus you go to other gyms and it's not quite the same feel that you can even see even observing the relationship between athletes and coaches. Yeah. And I think what you said there, spending so much time with the athletes, you know, my husband's a division one coach. Um, a lot of the time that is who that the athletes feel comfortable with. They're going to them for some of their first, um, interactions of the day. Like my husband's out there coaching at six in the morning and, you know, very intimate things come up like, Hey, I'm having a problem at home. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Like coaches are there and, Um, We want to preface that there are so many amazing coaches out there. Majority of them are. And, you know, it's an amazing experience to be a part of a sport. I think me and Krista can both agree. But um, these are just things to be aware of. And unfortunately, we are seeing um, an uprise in every single sports environment that is affected by um, sexual violence, sexual harassment. And that's why we're talking about it today. Inappropriate relationships Mm -hmm. between coaches and athletes. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, it's, it's sad, but I think that it's something that we don't always talk about until something big happens. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is how do we talk about it in a way that we're providing education and awareness as well so that people know this is what to look for. Yeah. Um, Some of the recent cases in in cross country and track that I know of, which was Mary Kane, which is a huge story done by the Times within the last oh gosh, three months. Um, Mary Kane, who was a high school phenom, she turned professional. Um, she was psychologically and mentally abused and encouraged disordering, disordered eating behavior. Um, and their their professional program by Nike was actually shut down because of the abuses. Um, another recent case was a Canadian runner whose name was Megan Brown and was 17 years old at the time and was groomed by her coach, Dave Scott Thomas, into a sexual relationship which negatively affected her athletic career and left her in psychological distress. And these are all things that are coming years later. That seems to be almost a pattern that, mm-hmm. that years later the the person who was abused eventually maybe through therapy or through family help 
finds the courage to to yeah. confront that because a coach is always held on a pedestal so Absolutely. it would take a great deal of courage to be able to say no you can't yeah. do this and what you did was wrong yeah and the strength and the bravery that it takes to come forward um, even in gymnastics it was just uh, released within the couple the past couple days that um, Maggie Haynes, who was Lori Hernandez's coach, um, Lori Hernandez was 16 at the Olympics when they won gold, and her her she was actually suspended by USA Gymnastics for verbally abusing um, Lori and a, quite a few other gymnasts. Um, and Lori, since then, has actually left that gym um, and trained with a different coach in California. And then it just came back out that uh, one of another coach from the same gym that Maggie was at was also. Um, I think she was suspended or they're doing an investigation. I can't remember exactly which um, for the same kind of abusive relationship. So yeah. it is, I mean, it's common and it's happening. And yeah. the be- like for me, the best part is that it's coming out. And so if someone yeah. can, a survivor can use their voice in such a brave yeah. manner, that's what can create change. Absolutely. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, we're kind of on going the lines of healthy relationships and boundaries with, with, within the coaching. Um, you know, what I said before, healthy relationships get athletes to perform, trust in the program, the coach, the philosophies, the school. Um, you know, and, and we are generalizing that this is amateur sports. This is youth sports. This is college, high school um, programs. Um, when the team culture is abusive and that behavior is accepted, the perpetrator behavior th- thrives because there's fear and intimidation and the guilt of those being affected. When this behavior is normalized, that creates a cycle of violence, which is what I'm hearing from that story. Um, And um, it's not just a male coach problem. I want to say that it does happen with female coaching. Um, You know, the vulnerability of athletes is inherent with college athletes and and professionals even um, who are away from home, and abuse can easily happen in these situations Mm -hmm. because of the power dynamic at play. Um, And... You know, this is the power dynamic role, which um, Krista can speak more on the Duluth model, which we use every day in our line of work. It can not only affect sport relationships, but friends, family relationships. This is a wheel that we use to show abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. And this is across the board. I think that's a good point that you mentioned parents and maybe even friends and family, Mm -hmm. um, because when we talk about sports culture, it really is up to the coach or the gym or whatever kind of system that you work within in in athletes but it's such a huge responsibility as a coach to create that atmosphere Um, and I know in the gymnastics world there have been especially in the elite world Mm -hmm. where parents aren't even allowed to come into the gym yeah so how as a parent are you supposed to protect a child if you're not even invited to participate and, and I think that, you know, as a parent, you put so much trust into that coach oh, that you're going to yeah. be training my, my kid in From a healthy four years way. Old. That's not going to push them, yeah. you know, more than what their body can. That's not going to um, use abusive methods to try to get them to perform. Um, that is going to, a big thing in gymnastics, I don't know if it is in the running world, but um, especially in the 90s, was eating disorders. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, even like, how do we have conversations about that? Um, yeah. I know my coaches, they would, we, they would sit us all down and we'd have conversations about healthy yeah. eating. We would have conversations about life things, not yeah. just, well, you know, what it pertains to yeah. gymnastics. So I think that, um, and when you, gymnastics is one of those 
kind of strict sports where you have to do things a certain way every mm-hmm. time. And so, but how do you get that athlete to be motivated in a healthy way? Yeah. Um, I think it speaks to how you're going to create a culture. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what was the culture like in the running world? Well, I mean, right now, again, if you look at some of the cases like Mary Kane, like she was unable to um, perform at her high level because her coach was telling her that you needed to look a certain way and it was predetermined by your weight. And we are seeing huge numbers of reds, which is relative efficiency um, disorder um, or relative energy disorder. And we're seeing huge spikes of you know that being huge in college huge in high school so reds is something that a lot of athletes are struggling with not just female again this is happening with males as well um but having that culture um in track and field creates long-lasting effects on a woman's body when they lose the menstrual cycle um you know creates mental mental and physical um barriers now and especially with training like Mm -hmm. there's so many studies on um if you lose that cycle, um, it can be detrimental to, to your running performance. And so that, even though there's short-term game in, gain in it, and it, it could essentially ruin the running for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, I know that um, my husband, who, again, is a Division One coach, he, you know, he's, he coaches only females, you know, and they have that, that conversation two times a year where they talk about um, they bring in the nutritionist, they bring in the counselor, and they bring in resources. So I think kind of going along what you're – what you're saying bringing in all those resources and having the conversation and saying I'm here to listen and support you um, through whatever you're going through and if eating disorder behavior is on your team but addressing it and that's that's huge and I mean I'm a professional runner like we run in like a, a pair of buns which I don't know what you guys know what buns are but it's basically a bathing suit um, it, and it's mm-hmm. I mean it shows the world everything and yeah. it, it can be very hard to you know look at these other women and say wow I don't look like that like do I need to look like that to run that way and that is so not true and um, I'm very happy that there are so many strong women who are professional who are saying that exact same thing and being being great role models so sometimes well if you're running in in what's essentially a bathing suit gymnasts mm-hmm. are wearing what's essentially a bathing suit <laughs> and how, how much does you know a uniform Com- or add to perhaps grooming and coaches' attitude towards their athletes. And, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. Does it? So gymnasts compete in leotards, and there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. right? We don't want anything to um, get caught mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or because that can be a danger, right? So part of the uniform is a safety thing. It's, it's, it's a little bit hard for me to answer that question because I have really only had positive experiences with coaches. Um, I do know I can speak to the gymnastics world where um, when the USAG scandal happened, there was a lot coming out about um, USA Gymnastics not having um, a kind of list or registry of sex offenders. So, and this was a problem and that even when I was in gymnastics, which was a while ago, but it was a a common problem. So you would have somebody that would offend at one gym because they don't have a way of tracking Mm -hmm. that. It would go to a different gym. And, and so in that way, it is for, for coaches, it is a little bit about access. Yep. So depending on how your gym is set up, because my gym was all, 
it was like a warehouse. So everything yeah. is just very open. There was yep. never a spot where, I mean, maybe the bathroom, but again, the bathroom was like in the middle of the gym. Yep. So there's no, there was never a dark corner, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And when you have so many athletes that are, we did rotations, so you start one event and then you change events. So there's always movement. There's mm-hmm. always people around. Mm-hmm. So... I know on the flip side that there are gyms that are in question from the USA Gymnastics scandal where there was dark rooms where trainers were given access to kids in essentially like a utility closet Mm -hmm. where there was no windows. So I think that you have, and gymnasts start at a very young age. We, at my gym, we had the two and three year olds in our gym doing mom and tot classes. Um, Would gymnasts naturally start training at an early age? Mm So whether it's three, four, five. So it depends on how you're going to set up your gym, what kind of environment, what kind yeah. of culture you're going to create. And having and, and coaches, too, having an understanding of how can I provide an environment that is going to be safe, not just in terms mm-hmm. of spotting, in terms of coaching, but how do I keep gymnasts safe? Yeah. How, do I, how do I help kind of that? Yeah. So kind of finishing off on the grooming behavior, um, it actually goes into like really what I think boils down to, and I think Krista would agree, about system failure. That is what you've seen in NASA. That is what Mm -hmm. you've seen in the Nike Mary Kane um, thing, the Guelph University when they knew that this young lady had, um, you know, he had been sexually abused. They put it off as a, you know, a romantic relationship. Um, But they were telling, you know, hey, this is going on no he's a great coach he's got a family like no like you know your reputation as a good coach sometimes saves you from being a perpetrator and that is the you know the grooming that we see is done and protected by universities by um by these covers of them being such a good coach um but going forward how do we stop this how do we stop it's system failure that's happened how do we improve the system um and i would say that um having a sports liaison a title nine representative or designated athletic staff representative um to go to for anyone any concerns and having a policy and procedure in place for these athletes um Mm -hmm. to report or say hey i this is how i feel about this situation this is what's going on um where it's 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 fair it's confidential um because what we've seen you know you can even look at the michigan state case where people were saying no this is what's happening and the head coach that's their livelihood you think Mm -hmm. that they're going to they have a vested interest yes. in the protection and their reputation. Absolutely. So you're saying having someone who does yes. not have a vested interest yes. in those sports. Yes, maybe even outside um, outside yeah. of the sport as a liaison or just in, mm-hmm. inside the school, an HR representative, something. Um, but codes of conduct and safeguarding processes um, that are in place. And if you're a recruit, if you're a parent, if this is going back to what do we do to stop this, having that as a question when you're on a recruiting visit, even when you're in youth softball if Mm -hmm. you're just starting off like hey what happens if if this happens to my child or what do you have in place those are things are super important avid training for coaches about these issues and how to stop grooming behaviors if even if they're subconscious like hugging like you we don't hug athletes and we shouldn't i mean i understand that it's it really is something that 
will get to, which is consent language. No isolated room visits. What was happening with the NASAR, like, you know, the dungy, the dingy room mm-hmm. where there's a table in the back room where, like, that should not be happening. You should not be in a hotel room alone. You should not be in a vehicle alone. Um, mm-hmm. You should always be having someone, even on private meetings, because it's yeah. important. Yeah. Right, um, right. Yeah. And as a parent, I mean, parents who have young children who are starting into sports, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. We don't want parents to think, mm-hmm. well, maybe I shouldn't let my child do do sports. But um, my daughter was a gymnast for 15 years, mm-hmm. and parents were allowed to watch, and parents in groups came to things, and, mm-hmm. and like, go with your gut. If you yeah. think something feels weird, talk to your child and ask those mm-hmm. kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. I know my husband used to volunteer coach, and so many of mm-hmm. these young athletic programs have to have volunteer coaches or they won't exist with like yeah. soccer and baseball, t-ball, all those kinds of things. Yeah. But he had a whole code of conduct that he signed and mm-hmm. he had a training session with all the coaches. And I think maybe, I just assumed that went on everywhere and maybe that's not the case. I don't think that it necessarily <laughs> is. No, and, and that's why, you know, there are resources that, you know, that are safe sport. That's a great resource that I would encourage all uh, parents. That was what they we were using. Yep. Yeah. Safe sport's great. Um, you know, having, bringing in an HR representative to talk about these things or even reaching out to organizations like us to come and talk. Um, like Sexual Assault Awareness Month is in April. You know, sitting down with the athletes, you know, asking questions. These are things that, you know, we... We don't love, I guess, per se, talking about, but we love spreading awareness that there's resources available. Mm-hmm. And if something feels off, trust your intuition. I think that's mm-hmm. number one in For anything sure. of this conversation. Yeah. Um, but do you want to talk a little bit more about, like, the consent language um, with coaching, Krista? Sure. So, again, it's, it's, it's hard for me to think about just because my experiences have been really positive. But I think that... Um, especially in the sport of gymnastics which in order Mm -hmm. to coach gymnastics you have to put your hands on the person's Mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. and for safety as well as helping them understand right you need to put them in positions you need to be able to catch them Mm -hmm. if you fall because that could be potentially bad um and so how to talk to athletes about what's going to happen so there was a trick I was doing where my coach had to put his hand on my chest Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like touching. It was just, he had to push me up into the air. So I had enough time to finish my flip and land safely. Right. But even then, and I don't remember exactly because it was a long time ago, but even then I knew that it wasn't. And I think he even said that I'm just trying to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. So if it feels uncomfortable, I think that's the thing, right. Yeah. If this doesn't feel right, yeah. you as a coach have to kind of adjust how you're doing things, how yeah. you're talking to your gymnast. And mm-hmm. I think that's the one of the biggest things is being able to talk to your athletes um, about what feels comfortable. If this happens, let's talk about it because it might have been, I'm just trying to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. If you're falling, I'm going to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to make yep. sure that you land safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The other part is the, like, in gymnastics, we're wearing leotards. Yeah. Which is, like, another word for a bathing suit, right? <laughs> so when those accidents happen, it's like, okay, I'm not trying to, like, expose yeah. anything to you. It's just, you know, you grab when you're falling, you grab what you can. Yeah, yeah. especially when it has to do with head, neck injuries. Right. I'm sorry, I could not be a gymnast after hearing all <laughs> what Chris is doing. Like, I'm going to keep one foot on the floor at all possible. Like, 
I'll keep my 100 milers. You can stay over there with your cartwheels. Um, <laughs> it's tough to be the mom of a gymnast, oh. too. I'm telling you. Yeah. The beam was her favorite, and it would make me crazy. I had to oh. watch, but I didn't want to watch. But, yeah. That's insane. It's hard. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing what you can do. But um, Well, what would you say for the running world? <sighs> for running, I mean, we that it's it goes along the same thing like yes we need um we need that clear consent when we teach when um our child advocate goes into the schools and she teaches consent education with the with the the kids you know this is you know can i hug you can i do that you know can we do this like that's what we teach in um across the board so this needs to carry over into sports whether it's track and field whether it's gymnastics whether it's golf like anything um, bask underwater basket weaving <laughs> consent has to be there um, if an athlete comes into a trainer and is like hey I got a calf cramp can you please rub this out I want the trainer to be able to go I am going to rub right here um, with this tool um, or with Graston therapy I'm going to be using an ice pack for this reason everything should be clearly explained and specific before going into that like mm-hmm. like yeah. anything and when you're saying you know or um just absolutely anything should be like I'm going to be um, touching your shoulder in this instance or why I'm doing this Um, and no one else should be touching um, body parts like coaches that are not licensed to do that if I'm a coach coaching track and field I shouldn't be stretching out my athletes that's the trainer's job if the trainer's unavailable like maybe that there's someone else or maybe you can't stretch that athlete that day it's just not part of your job title Um, but Treatment should only done, be done by those people, and it has, should, should have specific action plans known by the athletic administration and the coaches and the training staff. It goes back to this constant communication loop of have the conversation before you put your hands on somebody. Always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Always a good idea. And letting athletes know that they can respond to that. It's like, no, I really don't want you to do that mm-hmm. without any kind of repercussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Danny, what do you think about coaches and athletes hanging out in my world? It would be outside the gym, but outside, outside of sports. Well, again, power dynamics are at play. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's on it's it's not appropriate. Um, period. You are a coach. This was what your livelihood is, and I've seen more coaches' careers ruined, ended because they wanted to hang out with athletes. Yeah, they're coach. They're close in age, or they're. Um, they just um that's who they hang out with every day from 6 a.m you got weightlifting you run at 9 a.m you come back for study tables at 6 to 8 like you are literally with these athletes all day but that does not mean they're friends you don't realize the power dynamic you has have as a coach you are signing those scholarship dollars you are putting up those roster spots and you don't understand like how much power you have over those people and unfortunately it does become abusive in a lot of cases, the ones we're talking about, it can become abusive. So, again, that constant training of this is the power you hold, hold it responsibly. And, and once you accept that mm-hmm. responsibility of being a coach, you yep. have to accept the whole deal of being yep. a coach. And, you know, if you're going to – I just want to re- reemphasize that there is no healthy romantic relationship between coaches and athletes. Yes. Absolutely. And I think that that goes back to that power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Somebody that is in a position where they mm-hmm. do, or they are signing off on scholarships, where they do, like in gymnastics, they can make or break your career. Yeah. What events you're competing, where you're competing. 
um, those types of things. And, and I know even in the gymnastics world and the college world, it happened at University of Michigan, mm-hmm. Central Michigan University, where coaches are in, being inappropriate. And so, again, recognizing how much trust we have in those coaches. and But, again, the amount of, of power and, to a certain amount, control. Yeah. And so how do we kind of inspire coaches to to learn how to appropriately interact and to have those healthy boundaries. Like I'm not going to hang out with you outside the gym. Like I am your coach, but I'm not your friend. Yeah. And unfortunately the coaching world is 80% male and 20% female, but yes, males tend to be more perpetrators in the world as we all know, working in in sexual assault. Um, But because of that statistic, like you should not be looking at your athlete in that way and 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 you should you should know that there are boundaries and there are invisible lines drawn in the sand and at the end of the day like we're just you know saying this to protect the athletes I mean you know I would say me and my husband were talking about this before we came into the podcast like what would you say you know to protect you know as a as a as a coach how do you protect your individuals he's like look at your team like your family you're not Mm going to have that kind of relationship with your family or I'd hope not so try to you know look at them like that and again after college that's a gray area I'm not going to go on that but they there should be no romantic interest especially in high school because it's not legal correct so mandatory reporting comes in on that so again that's another resource that you know every state's going to be different but if you do see something that someone's having to a minor that needs to be mandated reported Absolutely. Uh, Danny, I'm kind of wondering about what, how would you know or what red flags would you notice in running? In running specific, I honestly, I think general, uh, general things would be an unhealthy sports, an unhealthy team culture. Like, are people um, feeling um, more mental stress, um, feeling like they um, are, are battling um, not only themselves, but the coach and their own teammates for these spots. Is there things going on um, every day that that you can see? Are there are there definitely more eating disorders prevalent? Is there um, more added stress? Is there um, isolation? These mm-hmm. fears of again being uh, of even who we could compare to like a sexual assault survivor. Like, is there isolation? Is there um, fear, shame? Um, are there the physical things that we see? Um, loss of appetite change of appetite um you know maybe maybe you can add a few more that you can look for i think that it it would resonate just like how we mm-hmm. seek with our would survivors you, would you maybe say like a drop in grades as well oh yeah yep any changes and so as we always attempt to to end our podcasts on a note of hope what uh, guidance do you have for these athletes and their families and the coaches really I think that there is always hope I think that sports in general is one of those things that brings people together I think it's something that as an athlete you learn life skills you learn responsibility you learn how to be organized um time management all these all these different wonderful things that happen in sports and I think that the more it's coming out the more that we talk Mm -hmm. about it the more we can create change Um, this is something that USA Gymnastics is continuing to wrestle with how do we create and change 
to create a new culture where it's not one of fear and intimidation. And I would say that they uh, put Tom Forrester in USA Gymnastics as one of the top people. And he, for a long time, has been a coach that uh, you would see his gymnast laughing. He would always talk to them. You could see it even at competition. And so I think like that is, for, the, for gymnastics, I think is a great starting place. Um, and I think that USA Gymnastics right now, I want to say that they're doing the best they can, but they can also do a lot better. I think just being purposeful yeah. as well. When you mentioned having an advocate, having someone mm-hmm. that athletes can talk to, and mm-hmm. having making sure that parents and athletes understand that there would be a process in place should they be having difficulties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, again, I'm going to be I'm going to end it on a high note, but I want to say this: that there are potentially 700,000 to 7 million. This is a conservative um, estimate based on the Minnesota Amateur Sports Commission. Um, so of the 35 million people, 35 million kids in the U.S. that participate in sports, um, 2 to 20% are affected by sexual um, sexual victimization. So 2%, you're looking at around 700,000 kids to 7 million. So just thinking about the 35 million who are in youth sports, we have a job to do and to protecting these athletes. So um, ask the questions to the coaches. Um, promote avid training if you are involved in athletics and promote the conversation and talk to your own athletes at home um, whether how small they be um, or if they're you know they're at a college gymnastic program or they're in their senior year in high school in a in a golf program just have the conversations with them and be their main supporter um, sports have made me who I am today and I've seen a lot of ugly things in sports and I'm sure I'll continue to see more ugliness but that's because more people are talking, more people are being supportive there to listen, and there's more controls being put into place. So I think it's a really exciting time to be in sports, and um, I think it's going to continue to improve, and we're going to see amazing things, whether it's from the Olympic level all the Mm -hmm. way from the little level. And um, I'm blessed to be um, part of athletics um, in any way, shape, or form. And, and yeah, it's it's, it's been a blessing being an athlete. So. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining us today. I think uh, our listeners have learned quite a great deal. And uh, moving forward, I you know it should be and continue to be a wonderful world in sports. Hopefully we'll get it back soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.